Hello and welcome to Legally Scaling, the podcast for entrepreneurs and tech enthusiasts seeking insights into the common legal challenges faced by scaling businesses. This podcast is brought to you by Ignition Law, a leading law firm for startups, scale-ups and entrepreneurs. Today's podcast is about funding rounds and how to use them to grow your business. By the end of this episode, you can expect to know the essential differences between debt and equity finance, the pros and cons of using them as a tool to raise investment, and how to prepare your business for a funding round. You'll hear about the legal steps involved, what can go wrong, and how to avoid mistakes. Talking us through this is Alex McPherson, the founder of Ignition Law. Alex worked as a corporate lawyer at Freshfields and Hogan Lovells before setting up Ignition Law in 2015. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, Jake. Delighted to be here. It'd be great if you could start by giving us a bit of an insight into why businesses need funding in the first place. Well, the reason early stage businesses tend to need funding is that most have a cash flow challenge or a burn capital challenge, i.e. they're they're losing money and they, they perhaps plan to lose money for the first year or two, especially if they're building out technology, trying to get to a certain milestone or a KPI, key performance indicator of, of their model. So that that's normally why businesses require cash and they need cash quite quickly. Oh, cool. So it's essentially to, to tie them over at the start before they're generating enough revenue to cover their costs themselves and, and kind of hopefully make a tidy profit and also to escalate the process of scaling by being able to do things quicker than they would if they had to wait for enough revenue to come in to fund that. Exactly. That, that's a brilliant summary. I mean, I think to the extent a early stage business makes money, all that cash is going to go back into it anyway. Early stage companies aren't really going to be doing things like paying dividends or, you know, taking cash out. It, it, even if they are, if you like, profitable, entrepreneurs are going to try their level best to put all cash they possibly can back into that business to, to scale it in accordance with their business plan. Plus, the other half of that coin is there's often more bumps in the road than you perhaps anticipate. Even the most seasoned entrepreneur will often overlook or, or indeed not be able to foresee certain challenges that leave perhaps somebody departing, perhaps a dispute, running up more on costs, it taking longer to get you know key contracts signed and cash paid. All these sorts of things tend to mean that you have more of a cash flow pressure than you perhaps foresee. Therefore, funding you know, is, is really important. Great. And actually, leading on from that, something you touched on briefly, when, when is the right time for businesses to, to seek funding or, or when do businesses tend to seek funding? There are some businesses that, that perhaps will try and minimise their funding, especially if they're going to generate a, you know, a positive profit from the get-go. For businesses, let's say technology heavy or investment heavy, the, the best time really to start thinking about funding is normally pre-seed. So the two key UK tax reliefs, SEIS relief, EIS relief, tend to be very early on, you know, almost straight out of the blocks. Perhaps in other occasions, entrepreneurs will use their own money. They'll take out a personal loan and put cash in. So you know, it might might arguably be more kind of post seed that entrepreneurs will be taking in funds. But yet, really, you know, as early as, as as one possibly can tends to be when you seek funding. That makes a lot of sense. And, and you mentioned briefly EIS and SEIS. So would you just explain why it can be beneficial for companies to to raise money when they qualify for those reliefs? So. The UK government has 
actually done a really good job over many years now with these two attractive reliefs that give investors the ability to invest in a very tax efficient way, making use of um, where one has paid um, income tax. One can put that cash into a startup or a scale up and enjoy a tax relief on that and the tax relief on the gain. So that makes it quite popular to put cash in. The, the other form, which I think will likely come on to is more, you know, more of a debt based injection of capital. But either way you cut it, it's quite easy and quite um, certainly tax efficient on SEIS and EIS to put cash into startups and scale-ups. And that's why we see an awful lot of that in the economy. Uh, And you mentioned that it it can be good for the right kind of businesses to raise money pre-seed and seed. What do we mean by seed? And then what happens next in terms of subsequent funding rounds? What, What we tend to mean with pre-seed is very, very early. So you might incorporate a company today, you might be taking in cash quickly tomorrow. And the way we'd perhaps do that with legal documents is much, much quicker and much, much leaner than if one is, if you like, post-seed, post the early money round and coming on to maybe a Series A round. There'd be probably quite a lot more discipline, quite a lot more detail in the documents that one is one is using and probably a much more involved negotiation. So would you say a business that's pre-seed generally has an idea but might not have a, a developed product yet and, and have not launched, whereas a seed stage business might have developed that idea a bit more. Maybe they've got a beta version of their product or they've they've just launched but haven't really got too much revenue and traction as a generalization. Um, And at those stages, you're, you're raising tens or hundreds of thousands rather than millions and millions. Exactly. You know, you're, we're probably talking, you know, fives and tens of thousands at pre-seed seed. And in, indeed, once we're at Series A level, we're maybe talking about the millions, you know, valuation of, of, of several million plus. Broadly speaking, what are the different options of uh, for raising money? Yeah. So we touched on it briefly, but the, probably the the key dichotomy is is debt um, versus equity, most being equity. So, you know, what do we mean by equity? Well, we mean shares. So if there was new company, new co limited, it, new co is going to give away a certain percentage of shares. These sorts of things one has to think through carefully because normally with share funding rounds, you you have to concede some sort of board level control. What are the the pros and cons for a startup of using debt um, as opposed to equity? Yeah, so from a startup's perspective, debt can be really quick, really cost effective and really easy, plus also very flexible. So what do we mean by debt and how does that operate? Well, we call it what a loan note instrument. And if you like, it's almost like a corporate IOU. Typically, in an early stage, one doesn't have to run up costs of securing the debt. So it's a short form instrument. It says very clearly um, the new company is going to pay Jake, the investor, X percent interest on whatever period we, we wish and return that cash maybe. Or, and you can have whatever mechanic you wish, Jake converts into equity, converts into shares on a, an agreed strike price. And you can do lots of clever things to flex that and make it work commercially, which is quite interesting. Uh, plus also the instrument itself can have certificates, almost a bit like checks at the back, where it could be that you put in 10K, you 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 like how me the 
how I, the new company, am, am operating, you decide to put another 10K in. It's, it's quite easy and very cost-effective to do that. So those are some of the really nice positives of debt, um, and you're not necessarily giving away that equity straight away. The company perhaps doesn't have a shareholders agreement just yet, perhaps doesn't want to run up the cost on one. The disadvantage from a startup's perspective of debt is if it goes wrong, if I default to you on the on the debt instrument, um, you trump the shareholders. So often, if the company um, were to go to, to default, you could effectively swoop in and take the shares, the assets. And that does happen. So you have to use debt in a very very careful, uh, responsible way. Ideally, also with an investor that's supportive is going to follow on anyway. If a startup is is borrowing, essentially, they've got to make sure they can pay back um, the interest and, and the principal amount when it falls due. And if you could be months or years away from your first revenue, and there's no guarantee of when that's going to happen, or your product hasn't launched yet, that can be very risky if you've got no money or cash sitting around waiting to be used. Exactly that. And think about, you know, have maybe having a double limb that ideally, you lend me X thousand pounds, we go away, we build our minimum viable product. Let's say we need an awful lot more money than we than we realised. You sort of pick up the loan note instrument. And that's when you perhaps hope you got um, a repayment to you with, a, with an uplift, maybe a decent interest rate, so you're happy, or the ability to convert you into shares. You know, that would avoid us defaulting. So that's just the one point to think about carefully in a loan note instrument. At a high level, what are the, the kind of legal steps and the other steps involved from start to finish in completing an equity funding round? Yeah, well, so if we if we think we've got our new company, Newco, that's that's out of the blocks, maybe it's got a little bit of seed in, maybe it had some debt, whatever it is, it's now doing a, a significant funding round. That probably the most helpful way to think about it is there's almost two two parts, two acts to this. There's putting together a heads of terms, also called a letter of intent or term sheet, and then the actual substantive legal negotiation and drafting. Heads of terms, if you like, are almost an artist's sketch of what's going on. You know, Jake's putting in half a million pounds. He's going to get a board seat. The company's going to have a small option pool. There's going to be certain restrictions on the board in terms of what they can do without your consent, how they ultimately spend your, you know, your investment. Often, startups come a bit of a, a cropper if they if they bootstrap too much on that, that, that's definitely a place to invest time and effort and money to get those heads of terms right. So this is part one, the heads of terms sketches out the deal to make sure we're broadly happy. And then you've got the long, long form docs, if you like, the part part two. Those tend to be shareholders agreement, which is ultimately a, a contract at law, the articles of association. Sometimes there'll be an IP agreement, so an intellectual property agreement saying most commonly you know, if you were the investor and I was the um, entrepreneur, you'd, you'd say, look, Alex, there's probably a whole ton of stuff that you've not got around to properly putting in the company's name. And that's important because that's going to be nice, you know, in an exit down the line. So it's all nice and tidy from the get go. Um, you ideally want to see something around the founder or the key individuals on the board in terms of service. So if they're consultants, consultancy agreement, employees, employment agreement. And then you've got the kind of more administrative in the board pack, the board resolutions, shareholder resolutions, share certificates. And dry as it might be, the really important one is the company books, the register of members, because that's really the definitive place where we, we keep a note of 
who's holding what shares and on what date. But those tend to be the key components of, of a funding round. So from what you're saying, the heads of terms gives sort of high level summary of the terms the parties agree will govern the investment. Um, a lot of those terms will appear in the shareholders agreement, but some of them might fit better in, in other transaction documents. But with that in mind, would you mind giving us an insight into some of the, the really key terms that tend to come up time and time again in the context of an equity funding round? So the key the key terms of a funding round tend to be terms around board control. Um, so what does our board look like and, and what happens if it goes wrong? You, you want to avoid, if you're the investor, let's say, and, and I'm the founding director, if we've got one director apiece and you vote left and I vote right, we could potentially deadlock. So you, you'd ideally have a clause saying, you know, you or I would be chairperson, we're casting vote if we deadlock. That, that's a really important term to consider your board dynamics. Ideally, one doesn't give away lots of board seats. So is it going to be an investor observer? How does a reporting work? You know, how many board meetings are we going to have a year? Is it going to be a share option pool? That tends to be quite an important clause to consider. So you don't have a disagreement down the line, you know, about, about implementing a share option pool terms around transfer what what happens if you want to transfer your shares that might be that you're an institutional investor and you want to transfer them to a different fund it, it, equally if you're wanting to transfer them to somebody that i don't know that that that's important to get right that that works for everybody dilution um how does that operate what happens if you're wanting to sell the shares before me? There's these clauses called drag along and tag along that are, that are quite important to crystallise early on. If perhaps you weren't particularly, our relationship wasn't so good or um, you weren't keen on an exit, what happens if you have a split split shareholder base in the event of, of, of some sort of an exit in the company? Uh, clauses such as uh, intellectual property and restrictive covenants are really important in a in a shareholders agreement in particular. Notably, at law, um, it's quite different. You might have these sorts of clauses in your employment agreement or your consultancy agreement, but in a shareholders agreement, one is presumed to be negotiating on a more even footing. So you can be pretty robust about about intellectual property ownership, restrictive covenants, confidentiality um, is, is important too. Um, you, you have this concept of reserved matters. Um, so what happens if I decide, right, we need a really good um, CFO and that person's going to cost £100,000? That likely would hit a threshold that would need your sign-off as an investor. So these sorts of things where one has a bit of bureaucracy and governance, it's important to kind of get right. But those tend to be um, the, the key terms that you see. Brilliant. So you can see why there's loads of scope for negotiation there. And I guess bargaining bargaining power must play a really big part in that. Exactly. Exactly. We've talked a lot about uh, some of the investor protections that startups will need to grant so that everybody becomes comfortable with a deal. Um, what can go wrong, you know, especially if people don't get the right legal advice and they don't really understand from a startup's perspective what they're entering into? So I think one of the things, it's important to have tricky conversations early on, um, especially with investors, to make sure you're, you know, on, you're on the right page. Um, heads of terms, you know, is, is a document that really one should invest um, time and effort um, in to, to, to get right. So you've got that sketch on, on the right footing and you don't run up a load of cost on long form docs if you're if you're not not agreed um board control i think early stage companies giving away directorships and not 
connecting those, pegging those to an investor's percentage of equity, um, that can be a challenge. One of the most common things that goes wrong that that, that we see is um, one not having a, a key lead investor. So if we got six investors and you're the you were the dominant one, um, Jake, what you want to avoid is having five lots of negotiations with a poor you know, entrepreneur trying to set up a company, run the day job, probably day and night job anyway, and then try and have six negotiations at the same time. So I think setting a firm boundary of what, what's up for negotiation, what isn't, and having a lead investor is, is a really good thing to do. And I mean, the other thing that goes wrong is is companies slightly overcook the, the bureaucracy and, you know, produce a, a massive shareholders agreement, tons of um, red tape, that that really um, can can topple a startup. You know, there's a great quote I love. I think from the founder of Hewlett Packard that startups don't die of starvation; they tend to die of indigestion. And I think that's a big that's a big lookout that actually, if you've got um, tons of red tape, you run a risk of um, you know a poor founder sort of keeling over and thinking, right, this is too much for me. I can't deal with this. Um, so those, I think, are the key the key issues that that pop up. Brilliant. Um- and finally, I'm just wondering, do you have any final funding round related advice? I guess any more tips for startups and entrepreneurs considering the funding round route or perhaps going through one right now? Yeah, I think one thing that's really easy to do and is free is to get get your ducks in a row internally. Even if it's on Google Docs, Dropbox, save locally, start to build a folder system of your corporate governance stuff, you, you know, to the extent you've got board meetings, companies house filings tax nature mrc have that in a folder any employment um consultancy agreements the key commercial terms of business the company uses and 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 contracts it signs up to um any ip any intellectual property trademarks fines have those all neatly organized in a folder because you're going to get asked sooner or later for it by investors who just want to look at what's under the bonnet that's a really easy habit to get into and you can do it internally from 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 the get-go uh, work more on an issues list basis. So if you've got you know a negotiation with your lead investor, instead of running up tons of costs on a on a lawyer marking up all the detail, maybe go into bat with look. These are our red line items that we're not going to give away a board seat just yet. We, we don't want to have bad lever provisions thrown at us. We've already been working this business for six months, so that's a no no. Um, but what we will cons- consider trading on is getting diluted you know to whatever percentage is is appropriate and we're happy to have some red tape around us blah 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 and then you can kind of get into um the lawyers marking up the longer form docs um we touched on it earlier as well but make sure you're also interviewing your investors as well as them you know interrogating you and ask some questions like you know what what are your other investments Uh, have you had many exits do what happens if companies you know it doesn't go so well do you do you help do you follow on do you volunteer time resources effort um or is it more just of an economic investment you know are you likely to get consider if they're likely to get disruptive if they're not happy and to what extent are your investors what we call smart money are they going to offer advice support counsel and and last thing i think that entrepreneurs often overlook is actually thinking about the dynamics of key individuals in in a company so doing a free myers-briggs style um exercise there's a great website called 16 personalities um where you can do one for free and thinking your personality profiles how you're going to work together um so to give an example you sometimes see 
really passionate entrepreneurs who are great marketeers but don't have anyone doing detail or perhaps they'd lack as, as i certainly um do and did financial um knowledge and, and skills so building out that board is really really important and also have you know tricky conversations if you do break up if one of you does leave what's that going to look like and and that's a really good thing to at least have have broached rather than you know to have left untalked about well that was all really really helpful um but i wanted to ask you one more question from uh more of a personal standpoint at the end if that's okay and it's if you could give your 18 year old self uh any advice today what would it be this is a good one um uh I think it would be listen more, be more patient, take a breath before responding and think things through. Um, And I think that's common in middle age. I'm 41 now. And and I think as you get older, you start to start to move along that continuum, (laughs) um, which, which is great. I think the other thing is a little more on the work life balance side, you know, it was all round the clock for, for many, many years and actually looking after yourself your your health and your mental health as well as physical health is really important um to to factor that in i think that's that's definitely something that younger folks don't don't always take as seriously as they as they should and i I certainly didn't and i think the last thing would be that for a lawyer especially details a bit of a rite of passage and you have to go through crunching the 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 black letters and the, the checking the commas and the semicolons and and once you've done that, you can then start to see a bigger picture. I think I got very caught up in the detail and took a little bit longer to move on to thinking about things more holistically and strategically. Um, but I think those would be the key bits of, of advice I'd give myself. I think it's really, really great advice and, and so true. Personally, I, I, I absolutely resonate with all of that. Well, Alex, thank you so much for speaking to us today. And thanks to everyone who has tuned in to listen. Uh, Ignition Law has worked on hundreds of funding rounds from pre-seed to series A. So if any of you have any questions, get in touch with us via www.ignition.law. Until next time.